Yeah. <laughs> well, you get a you get a kind of a look at what's going on. We said this is a busy weekend. It truly is a busy weekend. It's not only all these other things that Andrea had just mentioned to you about, but uh, we have both our middle school and our high schoolers on retreat this weekend, and a number of our adult leaders there. And I, I was kind of thinking with the marriage retreat and all these other things, I didn't know if anybody would be here this morning, but. Thank you for showing up. Um, we're thrilled with that. And then the other thing, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to show you one other picture that uh, that we have, and that was taken this week um, on on a very rusty looking steeple. Is there another picture that's further back, or is that uh, it, there's one that shows? I think even the steeple itself. I don't know if you've got it on there, but it goes back and shows this eagle way up on our steeple, and so um, it's pretty amazing. And as I was thinking about it, um, I took it as God watching over us, uh, and God over in a sense overseeing and watching His whole world. Um, this is his kingdom, and we have been transferred as people who trust in him as the Lord and sovereign of this entire universe, heaven and earth, which we're going to be hearing more about with regard to who Jesus is, um, that we come to a Tuesday and we vote and we recognize that God places those who are to be in authority. He calls us to be responsible as citizens, but we remind it again and again, our greatest task is to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we're to live in a way that we share the love of Christ, the kindness of Christ, that we share even when we have views, we do it in such a way that it's civil and kind and loving. Because we are about bringing unity. Paul said, those who are in authority have been placed in authority. And at that time when he said it, he was talking about people like Nero, who were killing Christians. And he still didn't speak in disparaging ways. So I don't know, wherever you're at, we're not taking political stands. I'm not, from the anyway, from the pulpit. I'm just saying we are of a higher politic than that. We are a higher kingdom of God, and he watches over us. Let's pray. Father, we invite you into our hearts and our lives. We know that you are the one who rules. You work through us, and you call us to be a part of your kingdom. Help each and every one of us to pay attention to your Holy Spirit in us and to your word. And I pray even right now, God, if there are people who are just not even sure where they're at with you as a God, whether they've heard about you, have been in church when they were younger, or whether they're here checking it out for the last few months or the first time. We are a people where we say everyone is welcome because none of us, nobody's perfect and we believe in you, God. Anything is possible. And with that, we pray in Jesus' name and say together, amen. Thanks. You may be seated. <clears throat> so um, I mentioned uh, a week ago on Sunday that we're going through this letter Colossians and I've titled it this idea of God's best for you because that's really what it is um, but I didn't realize um, how difficult it is to be going through this book with all these verses that are so rich in theology and so many other things but I'm going to do my best to try and under- help you understand verses 12 through 24 of chapter 1 um, I was going to go through 29 but thought I'm going to just stop there because it's going to take us an hour and a half just to get through these verses um, I'm just kidding, if you're visiting. Only an hour. Um, Anyway. 
uh, a while back, my wife and I were um, doing a search for some long-term health insurance. We were just trying to even decide whether that's a good investment because we had had friends and others and who had actually at one time purchased it a number of years ago. And, and uh, the, per, the agency that was to back it up ended up folding and some of them weren't able to get some of their benefits, et cetera. So we were working through that. <clears throat> and there's something that you do when you look at insurance, right? Whether it's long-term health insurance or insurance itself. But you, you ask yourself this, what are the benefits? Because how many want to get the best benefits? You know, there's a few you don't care. But anyway, you really do want to get the best benefits. And then you also have to look at the person who is the, the one behind it. The, the guarantor of it. The entity, the being that, that, that kind of is the one who assures that those benefits will be there. Because the third thing is you want them to be pay out on the time it comes due when you need it. Whether it's in life and you come across a time where you need the infusion of that. Some cash that helps you in your health or whatever it may be. Or when you come to the point in your life where you need it in your eight later years. Well, as you look at this passage of scripture, and I'm going to do what I did last week, is just briefly kind of give you a summary of how Paul is moving to a verse. It's chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, which is kind of the hinge verse of the whole letter to the Colossians. And Paul's an interesting guy because I don't think he sat there and goes, I'm an A, B, point, etc. He almost free flows at times. I'm sure he has a structure in his mind. Be kind is a bit more, I think, like me sometimes when I preach. I mean, you can ask them. I have a structure and all of a sudden I'm just going somewhere else and I've got to tell, you know, kind of bring it back in. I, I get that sometimes, I think, from Paul's letters and it's frustrating to people who are very analytical and want to go, you know, point by point by point. Well, here is in this letter, if you look at the beginning of it, the first couple of verses, you have to understand, you don't have your letter, you pick it up from the, uh, from your, um, Mailbox, that's what it is, your mailbox. And you get your mail, in my mind. I need that long-term health insurance now. Um, <laughs> mailbox, that's what it is. That's where you usually get your letters, right? So anyway, you get this letter, and, and it says from and to, and, and in their day, it was a scroll, and the scroll would be rolled up, and when you would roll up the scroll, you wouldn't know what's in the contents, and so on it, it would say um, to so-and-so, from so-and-so, a little bit about who that person is, and then a kind of brief greeting, sometimes a little summary so you knew what it was, right? It's kind of the subject line, what it's about. Well, in here, that's kind of what that greeting is. And then it begins, and, and you go through verses 3 through 8 of chapter 1, and, and it's kind of like, the way I could say it is, this is how Paul is, is thanking God for you. This is how I'm thanking God for you, says Paul. And then you go through these verses, a few that we're going to look at this week, and saw last week, 9 through 23. This is how I'm praying to God for you. And then if you go through the verses 24 through verse 5 of chapter 2, it's easily summed up as saying, this is how I'm struggling with God for you. And it comes to these verses. Verse 6 and 7 of chapter 2. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, here it is, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanks, thankfulness. Now what I want you to note at the verses that we look at this morning, you begin in verse 21. I'm just going to have you hear this part because it's kind of in the middle of the sections we're going to be looking at. It says, once you were alienated from God 
kind of alien, separated, and enemies in your minds because of your be- evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I mean, that in itself is a wonderful benefit, right? But catch this. It's like he said in verses 6 and 7. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This idea, if you want the benefits, you don't have to worry. We're going to see in a minute about the being who stands to be smart behind them. But if you want them, you've got to continue to walk with an investment of trust. Not asking you for money or other things like that. It's just that you will trust in this one who is standing behind the benefits and the news that you hear about this one, the gospel, the good news. It is important that you continue to invest and walk. When Jesus came, he didn't just say to people believe in me he said follow me think as i think and do as i do and live as i live and when you begin to do that you will find that as the power of this life of god and his word and his spirit lives in you you will begin to believe in him more and more and more and more so that's what he's calling us to do is to follow to trust And Paul is concerned here because there are people who he never met, but someone who had met with him probably in Ephesus went back to Colossae, which is a 100 miles or so from Ephesus, brought this message. People were believing they had received it, and they were now beginning to go, well, maybe it's just a philosophy, maybe it's just another faith, maybe it's just, you know what, not sure, and they were beginning to kind of disinvest and not trust, no longer press into foul Jesus in their life. My father, in his older years, really a brilliant, bright guy, incredible leader. Um, but when he came to his later years, my mom had dementia. My dad was not making good choices, and I, at a certain point, came in to kind of help with the affairs and things. I came across a long-term health insurance policy. And I was really excited about that until I found out that he stopped sending in an investment so that now when he needed it, it wasn't good. Your trust is all important. It's not about earning. Dallas Ward will say it this way. The gospel is not about earning, but it is not opposed to effort, which means your participation in trusting in this God who brings these benefits into your life. So are you trusting Jesus? Is your heart in a submitted, open, humble place before God? Because if it isn't, a good measure of it is, is how is it towards other people? You, you, you can't love God and be humble and open before him without, and in the same way, go and love and be open and humble in your relationship with others. And so, I, I'm getting off track. Let's get back, okay. <laughs> Sorry. 
The, fir- the first thing I want us to look at is verses 12 through 14. We're going to kind of review a little bit of last week because that's where the benefits are listed. Here are the best benefits you can imagine. Paul, in a sense, has shared this uh, through the gospel again and again, and he now is sharing it in a prayer for them. And he wants them to recognize, because at verse 12, he, he, he basically says, when you receive Jesus, you receive the best benefits ever, ever. So keep investing. And so he prays for them. I pray that you will live your life, and, and catch this, giving joyful thanks to the Father. The response, when you look at the benefits that he's going to list in a moment, is just, it should bring joyful thanks. Because you're giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He basically lists three benefits here. Here's your benefits. You've been qualified. And I think that's an incredibly wonderful thing. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of the light. One of the thoughts, and I think this is really true, that was happening in Colossae, I don't think it was, people talk about a Gnostic gospel or mysticism or mystery gospels or things like that. I don't really think it is. I've studied more and more, and I've just been doing a lot of study lately, reading through Paul's life. He was hounded by people who were what they called Judaizers. They were the ones who believed. They said, yeah, you can believe in Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised. You've got to add, it's not just faith and trust, but there's more you've got to do. You've got to do something. In order to guarantee. Somehow it's based on you. And he's making it very clear here. You don't qualify. When it comes to insurance things, right? When it comes to long-term insurance, one of the things they're going to look at is they're going to look at, you know, your history and find out, you know, parents, are they both, if they've had Alzheimer's, et cetera. You won't probably qualify unless the price is so steep you can't afford it. If it comes to an inheritance, there's a whole other way to look at it, because that's kind of more what this is, an inheritance. You only qualify if you are actually an heir, if they can prove in some way you are a son or daughter. And so he's making this claim right out in the very beginning. Give thanks to God, because you never qualified it. In fact, if you tried to qualify it, the price is so steep you could never pay for it. But guess what? Your father sent Jesus. He qualified for you. He took the sin that, that disqualified your precondition, you know, existing condition, has been cared for by Jesus on the cross. He qualified you. So give thanks. And then he goes on and he says, not only that, it's not based on you, but it's based on what Jesus has done. He goes on and he shares with the fact that you've been rescued. Verse 13, the first part of it, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Everyone who has put their faith and they've trusted in Jesus and they've been qualified because of what Jesus did. Now they're trusting, they're participating, they've opened their heart and they said, God, I want you to begin to allow your life to lead me and guide me. I want to live according to your word. As you begin to do that, he also wants you to remember that you've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. Never forget that, that you have been dominated in the sense of darkness. And if you've ever been dominated by a sense of darkness, blinded by darkness... You know what it's like to all of a sudden be rescued from that. You could be walking, let's say, down a, a pitch black trail. You ever done that? And you don't even know what your next step is going to be. Or it could be that your house, you've experienced a blackout in, in your house and you're trying to edge your way around the hallway. Or you could be totally in the dark, right? Even now, totally in the dark. How do I handle this child? How do I handle this marriage situation or this friendship or this thing at work? I'm just totally in the dark. 
Or you're trapped in the darkness of your own sin and selfishness. You've been addicted to the darkness of your own base desires and to the um, self-centered impulses that kind of drive you. Yes, even people who said, I want to follow you, Jesus, still have those things coming up because it's not till we stand with him face to face that those are things that are completely removed from us. But God tells us he looks at us even in our sin and he sees us as holy people. He qualifies us and we're holy in his sight, but you still have experienced that darkness. And he says, guess what? Jesus rescued you from that. In your heart of darkness, you have trusted in one who has birthed in you his heart. Now you have a whole new heart. And as you begin to trust and follow, those new desires will begin to come out. But you have to nurture them. You have to pay attention to them. You have to walk in what is true. I remember when I was um, wrestling through with this stuff. It was back in my college days. And I, I had a hard time being raised in the church with a father who was a pastor, who was a Christian leader, and et cetera. Really understanding what it meant to be rescued from the dominion of darkness until one time there was this blackout in New York City years ago and in the New York Times I'm reading the article and they started talking about people who were really good people who were stealing and doing things they would never do if it wasn't for the circumstances of the darkness and the condition that they found in that place they would go in and they stole and all this other stuff and I remember thinking in my own heart if it wasn't for the circumstances of a family that gave me some more boundaries and some light and had this around me I know my own heart and the darkness of where it lies I know where I have lust I know where I have greed I know where I have all kinds of things there was just seeds of that and I thought to myself what if I was born in a place where there wasn't like this family that I was raised in but was this family maybe in a different place in the inner city and I had darkness around me my guess is the seeds of that sin would have flowered. I was struck to my being. And I cried and I said, Jesus, would you take the seeds of sin in my own heart and rescue me from that? And place the seeds of your heart and the desires of that so that as I walk with you, over time, this new heart will show itself in evidence And he did. He rescued me from the dominion of my own darkness. And it says, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have been bought back, have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Yes, not only will I plant a new seed in you, but I'll forgive you for all those sins. I will actually, the word brought out is the word of resettlement. He says, I've qualified you, I've rescued you, I will resettle you into a whole new kingdom. Yes, you live in the United States and you live as a citizen of the kingdom of those laws, but I'm going to resettle you into a greater, higher kingdom. No matter where you go, you are a citizen of that heavenly realm. While you're here on earth, not in heaven someday, but even while you're here on earth, I will resettle you into a place where you now live under the kingdom of the Son, whom I love, where you live and can just enjoy my grace and my forgiveness. When you blow it and you fail, just I hope you'll just turn back and trust and invest again in the benefits that are yours. So 
see, the Jews were always looking for a land of promise, and Abraham was called into it. He almost stopped at Haran, and, and yet God said, you need to continue on. He continued on. And, and so then, eventually, the nation of Israel finds himself in Egypt, and they're still waiting for this land of promise, and God comes in and he rescues them, and he begins to start resettling them, wanting to resettle them into this new land, this land of promise. And they go along, and they see this miraculous deliverance and rescue through the sea. And as they're walking on their way, they start wandering, and they want to go back. They want to go back to what's familiar. It's so easy, isn't it, to give up? This is too hard. This whole marriage thing, it's too hard to, to face my selfishness and, and to not want to blame someone else, but to actually take responsibility and really grow in this. It's just too hard in my work situation, in a situation you may find yourself in. And you do have a bad boss, and they're not great, but you're still called to, to live in a way where you're honest and you're truthful and you don't back down, but you actually say what you believe and you trust, and you do it with wisdom. It's really easy to say, God, I'm, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to trust you. But you have been transferred, resettled into the kingdom of the son whom he is incredibly in love with. And he says, continue on. Trust me. I don't care if you're 20, if you're 10. I don't care if you're 70 or 80 or 40. Will you invest? Will you continue to trust? Will you listen to God's voice today, this week, when you walk with him? He says, the son whom he loves, you've been resettled into his land. The land he lives in is incredibly wonderful. It's in, it's in the warmth of the son of love. And what I, what I love about that is, just think about it, just Think about a father who loves a perfectly loving, good child. This uh, son who just, man, you're just amazed. Everything they do, they touch and, 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 they, and they love you and they, they do and love and act towards others. And how would the father feel about that son? How does a parent feel about that child? And God says, you've been transferred. You've been resettled. That's how God sees you. And you go, but I don't deserve that. Of course you don't, but your sins have been forgiven. I've bought you, and I've, I've, I've actually qualified you, rescued you, and resettled you. And those are the benefits. But you need to know that the benefits actually need some kind of guarantee. You know, right? You need, you need an, an entity. You need a being that helps you live into those things and helps you become all that God's called you to be as you trust him. You need someone who can come through for you. So when you come to the place where you're in a time of need, you're in a time of crisis, you have someone you know who is there. And it doesn't mean that he's always going to come in the way he wants you to. Sometimes you're in the time of crisis and he's just saying to trust. You have not only the best benefits, he goes on to say, but you have the best being. He wants you to be aware of the fact that these benefits are backed up by someone who will always, always have the ability to come through for you. If you look at these verses 15 through 20, that's basically what he's making here. Paul is is going along. And he says, what you have been given, the gifts you've been given, 
are the result of the, the giver. The benefits flow from Jesus, who is the very being of God himself. He is the best of class. Now, this is going to sound kind of kooky, but you know, you think of dog shows and where they have like the best of class. And what's the idea is that the best of the class of this whole group comes forward and we go, wow, that's the best. And then, and then eventually they have the best of what? You're not dog lovers? <laughs> Neither am I. I think I'm, I think I'm running as best of show. So just go with me on this one if it isn't. But there is a sense that what God, Paul is going along, he's so excited and he's, he's talking about these benefits and he's, then he can't help but think about the son whom his father loves and he thinks about Jesus and he goes, guess what guys, you're giving up on the best of class, the best of the whole show of this earth and universe. It is Jesus. You're not trusting in some philosophy and some kind of practical um, self-help kind of method. It's not about trying to be positive in the situation. It's not about you having to feel a certain way. You have a being whom as you trust in him, he changes as you choose to follow him. He works into your heart and your life. He changes the landscape of your life internally so that as you change with him, you also then begin to make a difference externally in the environment you live. Do you believe that? That's what he's talking about. Your benefits are only as good as the entity that backs them up, and you have the best being in the world that you're trusting in Jesus. Because in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. And he's trying to tell these people, you don't have some, you know, God, you don't have some, some prophet with a little more revelation. Jesus is not just some guru who has some insights into human nature. Jesus is not, some of you might think, the highest of the angels of the angelic realm, the highest spirit. He is no God himself. Some people believe that, God, that Paul at this point is just so ecstatic he starts quoting a hymn and, 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 and maybe a hymn that was written in that day. We just don't know. But it is interesting that in the 90s, Emperor Trajan of Rome, he writes to a guy named Pliny who was the special commissioner of a region not too far from where Paul was at near the Black Sea in that area of Turkey. And, and Pliny responds to him because Trajan wants to know a little bit more about these, quote, Christians. And his response is, well, here's what they do. They, they met on a certain fixed day before it was light, which I'm thinking we should do here, right? It would make it a lot easier. Let's meet at 5 a.m. Who's up for that? You know, some of you are going, no, I still want that 1045 service. Anyway. <laughs> Praise God, we live together in unity. <laughs> And we seek to do what we can for the most of us for what's best. So if you want 5 a.m., let, let Bob uh, Kleinschmidt, our elder chairman, know. Because um, I'll ask him to lead that service. Is that okay? <laughs> but he says, on a certain fixed day before it was light, they would sing in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God. And the structure of this is such. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to, we're going to recite this. We're not going to sing it. We're going to recite these words together. These are some of the most profound words around the nature of who Christ is that Paul writes about. But I honestly don't know if it was Paul. I don't know if it was more that was coming from the hymn book of the church. 
in the early church, soon after Christ died. Let's say it together. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is above all things, and on him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thanks. You may be seated. So I'm going to try to very quickly just go through a few of these things, and, and we really don't have time. Um, there's so much on this, but he, the first thing he says is Jesus is sufficient for you. It, it, here's the thing you need to realize, and this is so hard for me at times. Um, you can't feel joy, and, and you can't feel yourself into peace necessarily. You can choose the joy that you know that God's in control and the fact that his spirit lies in you and so joy is in you. You can choose the God of peace and as you choose the God of peace in your circumstance, you know that you have the God of peace in your heart and it lies in you and he will begin to, as you trust him, allow for you to experience that peace. Sometimes you'll go through it and you'll go, I'm not feeling peace. Don't worry about the feelings. Just keep your eyes focused on the God of joy and peace and love. And the truth of what he says. So he says the image of God, verse 15 of the first part, son is the image of the invisible God. An image was not considered something abstract in that day. It wasn't something distinct from what it represented. It wasn't like a facsimile or some kind of reproduction. An image of, of, of God in that sense in that day, here is this idea, was an exact as well as visible representation of God, kind of a representation of, of, of the very essence of God. In a sense, Jesus illuminates the very essence of God. He is fully man and fully God. His humanness, that flesh, was not something that I believe necessarily was preexistent. It is maybe even more this idea, just like when we talk about the Queen of England was born on a certain day, we are talking about that Jesus was born into flesh on that day. He is the Son of God, fully human, fully God. Calvin comments that in Christ, his righteousness, goodness, wisdom, power, in short, his entire self was deposited into him. As the perfect image of God, hear these words, Jesus reveals what God intended humans to be. Jesus living in you, growing in you, as that takes root and grows and becomes firm and established, You are moving into what God has always intended you to be. You will be that someday when you see Jesus face to face. He's the firstborn over all creation. This idea of firstborn here is is an interesting phrase. It implies priority in time, but that's not the main usage of what Paul means here. In the Old Testament and in that day when Paul was using it, primarily referred to a person's status. When you talk about the firstborn of all creation, it was the firstborn in the sense of all rights and inheritance and everything was given to him. 
Psalm 89, 27, I'll just give you this verse, is a good verse that kind of explains it. It's a great example. He says in Psalm 89, 27, I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. So it's a sense of status. Far above any others, he is the highest. So he's not only the image of God, he's the highest in status and order. It's kind of like in the sense that, you know, he's sovereign over others. We might say, possibly say, LeBron James is the king of basketball, right? Do we mean a literal king? No, you're talking about status. You're talking about the one who is really one of the best of all times in that sense. Besides Michael Jordan, of course. But anyway, um, verses 16 and 17. For in him all things were created gives the idea of location. Some of you might have in translations by him, but it's really the idea in him. It's more location. It's all of creation came from within him, almost like birthed out of him in the same way it's birthed out of God. And then he says, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, which is a very interesting chiastic structure, and I I think we have it up there. Um, it, it, It looks like, do we? It's coming. Um, it looks like this. It, it should go like this. It should say heaven and then indented or earth invisible. So it goes kind of like this and like this. It's, it's, it's this idea of heaven, earth, visible, invisible. I just thought that was kind of cool. So anyway, um, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The point simply is that Jesus is the supreme and he's overall. He's the creator of creation. And all things were created through him, by him, and for him, in order to bring him glory. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is a summary of Christ's universal preeminence. Christ has the precedence in terms of time. He is also the divine glue that holds all things together. Another way some have said it's he's like the spiritual gravity that keeps all things grounded. Without him, it would all fly all over the place. But it's more than that. That's, that it, this idea of holding things together has even a, a, a richer terms than just the fact that he's like glue that holds things together. One commentator, his name is Wink, says, Christ is the system of systems. And so for, for computer geeks, you'll probably enjoy this kind of analogy better. You could say that Christ is the basic operating principle controlling existence, the motherboard of the computer, the operating system that makes it work. Every program must interface with it. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm not a computer guy, so good. I'm that. So all creation must interface with Christ. And now he moves from the first order of creation, where Christ was very much the one involved, and he was God making it all. He now moves to the second creation. And, and he begins here, and he talks about the church. And Paul brings out this idea that this cosmic Christ, who is out here creating all, now comes down very much in flesh to earth. And so the cosmic Christ comes down to earth, and he is this creator, sustainer, becoming the crucified and resurrected, which is this incredible picture of this God who created it all, surrendering all those rights to come down and to let you and I crucify him. And yet he is still resurrected. He's the head of the church, the body, the church. Verse 18, he's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Um, 
I've had so much in here. This idea of, of head refers, if you go to Colossians 2.9, it's the perfect example, analogy. He's talking here primarily, I think, of his source of nourishment and all that he brings. Because a little bit later in chapter 2, verse 9, he, he makes a statement that those who have lost connection with the head from him, the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Jesus, in that sense, is the one who nourishes, gives all source of life to you and to me. We've already made it clear he's the leader, he's the head, but now he's talking here about this sense of being the one who gives you life. And in him the fullness of God dwells. The resurrection, as he said just a minute ago, is the place where we see this fullness begin to just explode out of this fleshly life. He can't, death can't keep him down. For God was pleased. He was delighted. He was just thrilled to have all the fullness of, of God dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This very, very ethereal out there God has become a very real physical being that you and I have been able to look at with faith back in history who made himself known because he wants to be known. God wants to know you. And he wants to live in you. And he wants to create you to be who he has always intended you to be. And he goes on to these next verses, and he it's kind of a, a cool thing. After he says the greatest treasure are the benefits of the gospel, um, there is something greater. It's God himself who he shows in Jesus. He then moves to, and he says, you know, if that's the best benefits with the best being that backs those benefits up, I want to tell you this is the best news ever. I have become, says Paul, a servant to it. Listen to these words in verse 21 through 24. Once you were alienated from God, your enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. That's an amazing truth right there. If you're like me, my mind accuses me all the time. You're not good enough. You're not going to measure up. Words like failure, words like, you know, just you don't, you don't have what it takes. You have that kind of thing? Or you're just rotten. You're a sinner. You have evil heart. You have this, that. You, you, don't, you don't have to live in that land any longer. You have been resettled into the land of the kingdom of the son he loves. So invest, trust, continue, believe, and tell that voice, you have no right here. I am who Jesus says I am. My identity is no longer in my own view, even of myself, Paul says. It is fully, 100%, in the eyes of my father. And I just tell you, it's not easy to live out. It's, it's really easy to get discouraged and to want to pull back and to want to just... I'm not even saying pull away from your faith. It, it's real easy to say, well, I'm just going to you know, gonna go through the motions. I'm asking you and I'm asking us as a church, let's lean into God like we've never leaned into him before. Trust him. For he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope 
the confident expectation that is held out in the gospel, this good news that you've heard. It's the best news, he says. The best benefits. The best being backs it up. And it is the best news ever. So much so that Paul says, this is the gospel that you heard and that I have proclaimed, that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and earth, which I, Paul, have become a servant. I'm going to tell everybody about this policy. It is the best. The benefits are incredible in this life and in the life to come. And you're not coming to someone who's just a little better than others, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of revelation better. You're not coming to anyone like that. You're coming to God himself and he dwells in you. And he says, if you know that and you, you understand that and you love that, he then says to you, be a servant of that. You are living in a different kingdom. The kingdom we live in is a kingdom that is all about grabbing power and getting power and getting this for yourself. And, and you see it all the time. Every political ad, everything you see, it's all about if you, and, and I'm careful, I don't want to judge hearts, but it is our kingdom we're set up in is a kingdom that is about getting power for ourselves, getting wealth for ourselves, getting, getting popularity for ourselves. It's about getting things for ourselves. And here we have a God. Here's what's so exciting about it. We have a God who says, I let it all go and I'm going to use my very power to die on a cross and let my blood be shed for you. I'm going to use my power to save and rescue and, and to resettle you and to empower others. That's our gospel. That's the kingdom we live in. We're not giving money to, to missions or to do different causes because it's, a, it's the Christian thing to do. We're doing it because we, we understand that the power that's been given to us is, is able to be used by God to empower people who are marginalized and desperate in need. And it's not just out there. It's the way that we treat the person we live right next to. Do you use your power to bless them? To love them? To sacrifice your feelings of hurt and come before God and, and ask for forgiveness and, and, and then be honest and not kind of go through a game, but be honest and, and work out relationship in a way that it's, it's real. Hold your boundaries and necessary. It's all about living life the way Jesus intended. I was going to stop at 10, but it's 10.04. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Beth to come up and we're going to take communion together. Because we're going to do a very earthy thing. We're going to actually eat this wafer and, and drink this cup as an acknowledgement again that we are being nourished not by the kingdom of this world, but by the kingdom of the God, Jesus, the Son, whom the Father loves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. This is a meal of joyful thanksgiving. You have qualified us, you have rescued us, you have resettled us, you have brought us to a place where we are without blemish, free from accusation. We stand right now here in your grace and we are of servants of that grace and love and goodness and peace. Thank you. God, we thank you for others in our past or who even now, right now, have have been servants of that grace in our life. 
And uh, we resolve as a church to be servants of that grace in this community to do whatever it takes that people will hear of the name of Jesus and will experience grace, kindness, love, and a life that flows from you.